0: Welcome back to the show. Uh, as you know, i am in traveling the world to find the best flavor of ice cream. I've been telling be handed each time, and I don't know what to do. Mmm. What is... So, hey kiddo, what are you eating over there? Ice cream. Ice cream? Can I have some? Mm, yeah, I some. Oh, Okay, thanks. Wow, that's amazing. What flavor is that? Vanilla. Vanilla? Wow. After traveling the world, I finally found my favorite flavor. Vanilla. I guess everyone needs to find the best flavor for themselves. Thank you so much for joining me on this trip of finding the favorite flavor of ice cream. Hey mister, can I have my ice cream back? No, this is mine, sorry kiddo. All right, good morning everyone and welcome to the well here at STSA. We're glad that you're joining us here today. If you're just showing up and you're trying to figure out what in the world is all this ice cream business that we're talking about, We are in the conclusion, today is the finale of a six-week series called Finding Your Flavor, where we are trying to figure out, we've been having a lot of fun trying to figure out different ways that we can connect with God or experience God, okay? And we've been talking about ice cream to try to, you know, kind of give the idea that there's different flavors to different ways that you can experience God. And all this talk about ice cream has just gotten us a little bit hungry. So next week, we're going to do what we should have done from the start. We're having an ice cream party next Sunday. Because we are finishing this series. Yeah, exactly. It's been just too tempting with all these ice cream things and all these ice cream references. And everyone's talking about ice cream, ice cream, ice cream. Enough is enough. Next Sunday, we are going to gather together here during this time of the well. And we're going to celebrate what God has done throughout the course of this series, what God has done in our life groups. And what God is doing next Sunday is also Baptism Sunday here at STSA. So we're just going to celebrate with just ice cream. That's just how we do things around here, right? But before we get there, just to quickly remind you what it is that we are talking about. What we are talking about, as I said, is different ways to connect with God. And what we have realized over the past six weeks is that as diverse as we may be physically, emotionally, in terms of our appearance, we are equally as diverse spiritually. And there's no two people that are the same. And all of us connect with God and experience God in slightly different, unique ways. And you say, how can that be? Well, the reason why is because one thing is we've said every single week, and we'll keep on talking about it, is Christianity is not a subject to study, but it is a person to know. Christianity is not a subject to study, a person to know. And as I, as a person, have a unique relationship with each one of you, as you as a parent have a unique relationship with each of your children, as you may connect with one by wrestling on the floor, another one by bedtime story, another one by sing a song, whatever it may be, you connect with each person at an individual personalized level, Well, we're the same way with God. God is a person and we are people, and we may connect to God in different ways, but the important thing is not the way, the important thing is the connection to the person in the end. And what we agreed in the very first week is that if you don't understand this concept, if you don't understand this concept, you will be tempted to A, criticize the ways of others that are not like you. You'll be tempted to think that your way is the only way and the right way, and anyone who doesn't do it your way is clearly not as spiritual as you. Or B, you may go to the other extreme and you may criticize yourself and try to copy someone else's way. And you may say the only way for me to be spiritual is to be like so-and-so, and and you're never going to be like so-and-so. Or three, This is especially dangerous for parents in the room. You may be tempted to impose your way of spirituality on others. And I, as a priest, always have to make sure that I don't do that, which is impose what works for me, has to work for everybody else. And that's a temptation until we understand this. Getting everyone to be exactly the same spiritually is like trying to get everyone to agree on the best flavor of ice cream. Now, for me personally, okay, opposite to what uh, the, the gentleman said in the video, for me personally, favorite player of ice cream is a no-brainer. Like, it doesn't take but two seconds to figure out that it's chocolate. It doesn't require any effort, but then you sit there and say vanilla, and you sit there and say butter pecan, and you sit there and say uh, the, the the rocky road or whatever it is, and I think you're a crazy person. In the end, it doesn't matter the different flavor. It matters that we're eating ice cream, and as we heard today in the sermon, is that Jesus is kind of like the cone, okay? So as long as that ice cream, as long as that flavor goes inside the cone, then that's all that really matters in the end. And you like to put vanilla, put your vanilla to your heart's delight. And you like to put some chocolate, put ho- chocolate to your heart's delight. And we agreed in this series that some people really experience God in nature. Some people experience God through their senses. Some people experience God in fasting. Some people ex- experience God in, in activism and, and things like that. All that matters in the end is that we get to God. And what I would hope that's happened throughout this series, what I have hope, what I hope, 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 is that some people can be liberated from feelings of guilt, because oftentimes there is a guilt associated with not being good enough spiritually. Just this past week I was listening to someone who was telling me, and this is a person who I, I respect very much spiritually, and this person said, you know what, after 12 years I decided I'm done trying morning quiet time. I have been trying to do morning quiet time for 12 years now and I just realized I am not awake in the morning and no matter how much I try I cannot do it. I cannot concentrate first thing in the morning. And this person finally felt liberated to say, you know what, I'm just going to do it in the evening. And they're looking around and maybe the lightning's going to hit me because you are you allowed to do quiet time in the evening? Yeah, you're allowed. The important thing is the connection, not the time of day. Now, for me, I'm a morning guy. For me, I can't concentrate anything in the evening. So for me, I'm a morning. You're an evening. More power to you. It doesn't matter. matters the connection. Some people told me, you know, when we sing songs here before the well, it's like very beautiful and some people very much fine. Other people say, you know what, to me, it's just songs. And I say, you know what, that's okay. You don't have to find a connection the same way as everybody else. And this is one thing that I think the church has really missed is, because if you look around at most churches today, most of the people in churches today have the similar personalities. Most people in churches, there's kind of a way of dictated of, this is what it means to be spiritual. And if you don't like songs like this, and you don't like preaching like this, and you don't like these causes that we do, then you're not spiritual. Okay, and you got to go find someplace else. Well, I disagree. I say that you may not find God that way, but you may find God another way. Same thing, fasting. Okay, not everyone is their favorite thing in the whole wide world to do. Now, as we talked about, we all need fasting to a degree. We all need self-denial. We all need the discipline. But it may not be the thing that lifts you up to, to heaven the way it does somebody else. Okay, and we agree in this series that we're okay with that. The important thing is the connection to a person. There is no one size fits all. That's why this has kind of been our verse going along here. Hebrews 10:22 says, let us draw near with a true heart. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, full assurance of faith that if I come to God as I am, and I get to God with the true, sincere heart as he made me to be, full assurance of faith that he accepts that, and I don't need to be like so-and-so, and I don't need to be like anybody else, and you don't need to be like me. We all need to have a true heart and a sincere heart because we are unique. We've talked about eight of the nine flavors, and today we will wrap up our Finding Your Flavor journey by talking about the best of them all, which happens to coincide with, in case you're wondering, my flavor, and that is going to be the intellectuals, those who love God with their mind. True story. Many of you know, recently, uh, for the past two years, I've signed up to do a, uh, a seminary program, okay, because before I became a priest, I never did seminary, and it's awkward and people say, oh, you're a priest, and you've been a priest, you know, 15 years, where'd you study? And I say, University of Virginia. And they say, What would you study? I said, information technology. It's kind of an awkward interaction there with, you know, people with degrees and things like that. So I'm, I'm doing the thing right now. It's like a distance study program, and it's great, and I love it. And part of the program, every year, we have to go for a week in the summer of residency classes, okay? And this is, I was never much of a student. Okay, I was the kind of guy who showed up on the first day, figured out which classes I could skip, which ones I didn't have to go to, and I kind of came up with my own syllabus okay, and kind of did whatever, don't, don't, college kids don't do this, and then just kind of crammed it all in at the end. Okay, that's, it worked better for me. I felt it was more efficient. Okay, why study an hour a day when I can just do it all in one? But that was anyway. So anyway, I'm not much of a student. So I didn't know how I, I would do in these residency classes, how I do sitting, taking notes. I haven't done it since I graduated college. I love it. This residency week is one of my favorite weeks of the year. It's exhausting. Like we go 9 in the morning till 10 o'clock at night with never more than an hour break. Okay, hour and a half maximum. Okay, if you don't skip some of the things which I sometimes skip, okay? It goes from nine in the morning till nine. I don't know how we do it. I'm telling you, I love it. I love things that I never thought I'd love. I love listening to history. Things that you would say, like this is useless and boring. Somehow it's become fascinating to me. It's fascinating to me how Christianity started in the Middle East and how Christianity flourished in the Middle East. And even when Islam came in, what Christianity looked like in the Middle East. That's fascinating to me. It's fascinating to me, one of my favorite classes is probably the most boring sounding class in the whole wide world, which is canon law. And I love, I love, I love to hear that in the fourth ecumenical council they decided this, in the third one they decided this. And I love to see people discussing what this note out of this council meant. I love that stuff. And I tell you what I love the most, it's kind of a confession. I love the fighting the most. It's kind of a confession. Because this seminary is, so there's kind of two families within Orthodoxy. Okay, and the seminary is from the Eastern Orthodox side, so it's kind of like one family. And then us, the Coptic Orthodox, we're kind of the other family. Okay, and we're nice, and we play nice with everybody else, but there's two families, and the two families a long time ago disagreed. Okay, and there's still a little bit of underlying tension. I absolutely love it when people fight with each other about these things. I absolutely love it when I hear these people fighting about this and these people fighting about that, and this stuff gets me going more than anything else that you can imagine. This past year, not only had the two uh, the two groups of Orthodox together, okay, with the two families of Orthodoxy discussing, we all need to be unity, but you know, we can't really be united till you guys, okay, see the error of your ways that you made in the fourth century. And our guy says, the only error we made was inviting your corrupt bishop to our council. Okay, that's the error we made. I love that stuff. This year we added, there were some people from the Roman Catholic Church. Now we had everybody going at it together. And we spent, I'm telling you, no joke, we spent 20 minutes at the end of a class that had nothing to do with anything. 20 minutes at the end of a class discussing who was at fault in a disagreement in the 15th century. And it was a 20-minute discussion where everyone was getting into it. I was loving it. I promise you, the only reason it ended because lunch was next. If lunch wasn't next, we'd still be going right now. And I tell my wife these things, and she's like, Was there a prayer meeting at the end? No. Did you start with a song? No. Was it a quiet time? No. And she can't fathom, and most people can't fathom, how I enjoy these things, but I really, with all my heart, I really, really, really enjoy it. Because as an intellectual personality, an intellectual means that to have your heart stimulated, you must engage your mind. And that's what I've discovered about myself and anyone else who's an intellectual will be the same way that the route to engage one's heart in worship is to stimulate one's mind intellectually. Get rid of this idea that intellectual means smart. Intellectual means IQ. It has nothing to do with that. You can be the dumbest person in the room and be an intellectual. It has nothing to do with your IQ level. It has to do with your desire to ask questions, to find hidden meanings in the text. If you're an intellectual, you use the word insight a lot. And you love concepts and ideas. Even when they're debating ideas, you're okay with the debate because you just love to stimulate your mind with new ideas and you've discovered that the best, that's the best way to actually engage your heart. If you are an intellectual, then you love Mark chapter 12, verse 30, when Jesus said the great commandment. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. A lot of people love that heart and soul, but he also said to love him with all your mind. Okay, as well as your strength that's the first command as an intellectual me personally if there's something that i can't explain why i'm doing it i cannot benefit from it i can do it but it's difficult for me to benefit from something i can't explain i'll give you a perfect example okay right here we had the music team come up right before and the music team always great okay but they were fantastic today as always okay the music team is the best we're the best music team in the world. these guys work really hard There are many times, I told you, like me personally, I'm not a, I'm not an artist, I'm not a musical guy. And many times, I'll hear a song on the radio, and I'll listen to it, and I'm like, eh, whatever. And it doesn't do much for me. I'll come to church on Sunday, the music team will sing the same song, but now I'll see the words, which I didn't really understand on the radio, I I thought it meant something completely different, and I'll see the words, and I'll say, that's my favorite song. The music is the same. I didn't, the, like nothing changed in the chords or the beat or the rhythm, but I now engaged with it at an intellectual level because I understood it. And while you say my favorite song, and you're talking about music and beat and rhythm, I don't care about any of that stuff. What engages me in music is the words and in the meaning, and that's where I say my favorite song. Same thing too when it comes to like the church rituals, when it comes to things like fasting, comes to things like the, the rituals that we do like liturgically. I can go through all the motions but for me to truly engage in them, I want to understand why we do it, where did it come from, and then once I do, that could take me to a whole new level. Like, I can always fast. Fasting can be easy as just like a diet or an exercise, but when I understand what it is, that can take it to a real level of deep connection with God. That's what it means to be an intellectual. Now, if you're not an intellectual, you're thinking to yourself, this is silly. Like, intellectuals just complicate the world. Intellectuals are the reasons why that we're not all one family. Intellectuals are the ones who ruin it, because knowledge just puffs up. And knowledge is just a waste, and knowledge should just love, and just be simple, just be like little children. Like why all this stuff that just ruins the world? What I say to you, first of all, to ignore how God made me to be stimulated intellectually, is for me to tell the naturalist to ignore how God made him to be stimulated by nature. To tell the sensate to ignore how God made them to be stimulated by their senses, by music, by art, whatever it is. So for me to deny how God made me is the same as anyone else to deny their flavor, and we, we're not going to do that. More importantly, the idea of knowledge is bad. Is knowledge bad? Knowledge alone is bad. Knowledge alone is what puffs up and destroys people. But knowledge in and of itself is not bad. There's a whole book of the Bible that is dedicated to the gaining of knowledge and wisdom. That's the book of Proverbs. I could have brought a hundred verses, but I'll just give you a couple. Proverbs 1, 5 through 7. A wise man will hear and do what? And he will increase learning. Sounds like knowledge. Sounds like mine. And a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Another verse, Proverbs 18, verse 15. The heart of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. King Solomon, in his writing of the Proverbs, said knowledge is a good thing to acquire. Did Jesus, was he into knowledge as well? Jesus was just into love and just into action. Well, not exactly. If you go to very early on in the life of Christ, in Luke chapter 2, verse 46, now it was after three days that they found him in the temple. Sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Sounds like he was doing what I was doing in my seminary. Just sitting and listening to some debates and some discussions, but maybe he didn't enjoy the fighting as much as I did, but... And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And then Later on, at the end of the chapter, it says, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature in favor of God and men. These, this verse, okay, parents, this is a good parent verse. This is what I always, what I think of for my children. I always want my, ch- my child to develop on these four areas, okay? And all of us to develop. This is what I pray for my children. Jesus developed in wisdom, intellectually. In stature, physically. In favor with God, spiritually. In favor with men, socially. Okay, it's kind of the four different aspects of man. And intellectually is up there just like all the other ones. But didn't Jesus hate the guys who were all about knowledge? Like, okay, I'll give you this verse. But didn't Jesus spend his entire ministry telling the people, don't be like the Pharisees. All they care about is knowledge. Knowledge destroys. And knowledge is bad. And we should just be simple in love. There's a difference between knowledge and knowledge without application. Okay? And I'm going to draw you a little box right here. Okay? And this is my own little creation right here. So it copyrighted me or whatever it is. But my point is, I may it may not have thought through all... Like, it's very simplistic. So just take it for what it's worth. It's just a way to understand the difference between knowledge and knowledge alone. So I gave you two axes right there. One is knowledge, and the other one is action or application. Think of it this way. You can apply this in your relationship with God, but I'll also give you a more easy, simple example of your relationship with your spouse, okay? So I have my wife, Marianne. I want to learn more about her, but I also want to put that into practice. So take it with me and my spouse, knowledge and application in terms of my wife and her favorite cup of coffee what she likes to order at Starbucks, okay? I hopefully, I want to learn and do. So let's go through this little analogy together. Let's say, I say to my wife, I don't want to know what you love and I don't want to do anything about it. Okay, no knowledge, no application means I am lazy. Means I pretty much say get your own cup of coffee. What do I care? I don't care what you like, I don't care what you want, I'm sitting in the car, do whatever it is that you want to do. No knowledge, no application is lazy. Now let's say, I say no I want to get my wife her favorite cup of coffee but I don't want to ask her what her favorite cup is that would be what that would be shallow so application with no knowledge is shallow no I'm gonna run out to get my wife her favorite cup of coffee and I get her something and she's like I don't drink coffee and then I say I'm gonna get my wife her favorite flavor of ice cream and she say I'm lactose intolerant and I'm out there and I'm doing a whole bunch of stuff but there's no knowledge behind it so it's a lot of love but it's a shallow love. Now it's it. What if there's knowledge, no application? That's a hypocrite. And I say, sweetheart, what do you want from Starbucks? She says, a tall, grande, medium, whatever. And I say, oh, that's great. And I sit down. I say, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream, sweetie? I'm going to the store. And I go and buy everything except that. Knowledge without application, that's bad. Our goal is to get to knowledge with application. And that's love. Where I say to my wife, what is it you desire? And I learn about her, and then I go out and do it. And I say, sweetheart, what makes you happy when you come home from work? What's the best thing that I could do for you? And she tells me, and then I do it. To not ask is shallow. To not do is hypocrite. But to ask and to do, I'd say that's what true love is. My fear is that there are many of us today trying to love a God that we do not know. We are trying to love a God that we do not know. We are trying to love a God that we know at a very superficial or shallow or third grade. We remember what we were taught in third grade Sunday school and we're trying to love a God that we haven't learned any new information about since third grade. And I'm telling you, I'm not saying you don't love God. I'm saying you love him. You absolutely love him. But I'm saying that's a shallow love and to deepen that love you must learn more about who Christ is. Because again, like I said before, Christianity is not a subject. You can never say, I'm done, I know everything there is to know. As a person who's married, married people, is there ever a point in time where you say, yes, I know everything there is to know about my spouse, and i am done that for the rest of my life? That's not how it works is that you are constantly learning more. What is it your dreams? What is it your fears? What is it that you're uh, excited about as we grow old? What is it that you want for your career? What is it you want for my career? We're always learning more and the person is changing and I'm changing and we're discovering more and learning more and that deepens our love for one another. But to say I love a God who I do not know is a shallow level of love if you ask me. Let me tell you another reason. <laughs> A more selfish reason why you need intellectuals in this world and why everyone should be with all of these flavors I hope you've seen everyone needs a little bit of every one of them okay this may not be your natural but why you need to kind of step out of your comfort zone more selfishly okay let's say you say I love God plenty good I don't want to love God anymore let me tell you why it's in your best interest to be intellectual because changed lives happen through changed minds changed lives which is what we all want Father Anthony how can I change this Father Anthony, how can I stop this? Father Anthony, how can I make a change in this? Changed lives happen through changed minds. I believe, and I hope you agree, that every behavior in life is born out of a belief. Every behavior in life is born out of a belief. The person who steals bread for his hungry children is doing so because he has a belief. And that belief is that the end justifies the means. And I'm not arguing right or wrong. I'm just saying why he's doing that is because he believes the end justifies the means. And as long as that's his belief, that's going to be his action. The girl in high school who is very promiscuous sexually has a belief about her self-worth that it is very low and she has very little value and therefore she acts in such a manner. I can tell her, change your behavior. But as long as her belief is that she has no value she will continue to behave this way in one way or the other you can't change actions without changing beliefs you can do it in the short term but long term changed lives come from changed minds Bible says the same thing it's in Romans chapter 12 verse 2 do not be conformed to this world but be transformed be transformed how by the renewing of your mind and this gets to the essence of of what, our, what we've always learned and understood, the word repentance. Okay, The word repentance at its core, metanoia in Greek, means to make a U-turn, means to make a change of mind. It doesn't mean to change your behavior. It leads to a change of behavior. Repent means to change your behavior in the end, but it means by starting, by change of mind. So let me tell you this. You who struggle with anxiety, you struggle with anxiety, up late at night, stress causing you all kinds of problems, fear this. You who struggle with anxiety, the solution is not to try harder. The solution is not to try harder. The solution is to understand who God is and who you are. And the more you understand who he is, and as we sang in that song, that there's not a day that I'll face that you haven't seen. Beautiful lyric. I may have said it incorrectly, but there's not a day that you haven't seen. The more I understand that, anxiety goes down. I'm not gonna beat the anxiety out of me. I'm gonna change my mind. You who struggled with forgiveness. I can't forgive so-and-so. I've seen this so many times. I've seen it like eyes, like the scales off the eyes fall. You who struggle to forgive somebody, it's not because you need to try harder to forgive. You need to understand what does the word forgive mean. And because you don't have a proper understanding of forgive, then you think that you can't do it. Because you got a wrong idea of what it means to do. But when you understand what does it mean to forgive, And what does it mean that you are forgiven? Forgiving becomes a lot easier. You who struggle with your temper, you could try harder to control it, or you can grow in knowledge of what is it that triggers your explosions. And you could seek to understand why it is that you have these explosions instead of just trying to force yourself not to do it. I'm not saying hard work, we don't need it. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying, like Emmanuel said earlier today, the key word is the word synergy. We always believe everything is synergy. We always believe that everything is me part and God part. God does a part, but I have to do a part. And sometimes we focus, like some people focus too much on the God part, okay? But some people focus too much on the me part. And what I'm saying is the way that we are part is to change our mind, okay? And doing that will make the biggest difference. I remember, for me, personal story. I remember, I was trying to think to myself of a time where I learned something new and it changed my life. And there was one example that was just, I remember one time I read, and I've spoken about this before many years back, I read a book that taught me what does it mean to trust God. And I had read the verses about trusting God, and I had uh, done Bible studies about trusting God, and I had every sermon about trusting God, and I had always kind of understood it, and then I learned a new piece of information. And it changed my mind and it changed my life. I was reading this book called Hind's Feet on High Places. Anyone ever heard of this? Hind's Feet on High Places. It's a great book. One of the best books I've ever read in my life. This book changed my life. Here's this book, I won't give it away. Okay? This book is all about, it's an allegorical book. It's not like a it's, like a, it's like a story. About a girl who's following a shepherd. And the shepherd says, I'm gonna take you to the top of the mountain. It's called the high places. Okay, it's based on a verse from Habakkuk chapter three. I'm gonna take you to the high places. And the girl says, that's what I want. I want to get to those high places, and the whole book is her journey, and I won't give away what the book says. But there comes a point in time, a very vivid image that I still remember to this day. I probably read this like 15 years ago. In this book, she goes through all kinds of obstacles, and she goes, you know, through the this and over the that, and all kinds of challenges, and she fights her way through, and the shepherd says, come here and take here, and all, and she's and she's getting near the end of the journey. And she gets near the end, and she sees the top of the mountain right there. There's the top of the mountain. That's where the shepherd promised I'm going to get She's going to take me right there. She's so excited. She says, That's where I need to get to. And the shepherd says, Are you ready to get there? She says, Yes, I'm ready to get there. Are you ready to get there? Yes. And the shepherd says, Okay, to get there, you go there. And she said, What? To get there, you go there. And she said, No. To get there, I go there. And she said, No. The shepherd said, No. To get there, you actually go there. But from that moment in time, I learned, that image will never stop, stick, never leave my mind, that trust and faith is not about a path, it's about a person. Trusting God is not about trusting a path, it's about trusting a person. And even when the path seems one, two, three, ABC, simple, so clear, it's not true trust in God, is not about trusting a path, it's about trusting a person. That changed my heart. That changed my heart in so many ways. And my life today will never be the same because of that lesson that engaged my mind and moved my heart. That's what an intellectual means. That the heart is engaged. I'm sorry, the heart is changed through the mind being engaged. Now you say to yourself, how do we do that practically? Well, there's a million ways that you can engage your mind. Uh, Attending uh, Bible studies. Fantastic things to do. I know... Several women in this church are doing like BSF, Bible study fellowship. Fantastic. More power to you. Uh, We do something in this church called AFC classes. We do that three times a year, okay, for like five Saturdays in a row. We'll be doing the next one in January. Sign up for something like that. Great. Uh, Do seminary. Join me on the seminary, or once a year we'll go and we'll listen to people duke it out and fight. That's a great way to do it. There's a ton of ways. You could listen to sermons, like whatever it may be, but I want to just emphasize one particular way that is so simple. And if you ask me, this one thing, I promise you, I've seen in my own life, can make such a difference in so many of us, our spiritual lives, our spiritual maturity. This one thing, if we learn how to do this one thing. And what that one thing is, I want to go through a passage from 2 Timothy chapter 4 and let St. Paul tell us what that one thing is. He says this, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Little context. This passage that we're about to read is written at the very final days of St. Paul's life. He's sitting in a prison. He's awaiting execution any day now. This is one of his final writings. He's writing to his disciple, Timothy. And he's basically saying, everyone has abandoned me. Everyone has left me. I'm all by myself. These are his final writings to his disciple, his beloved Timothy. And he says to him what any father would say to his son. He says, be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Watch this next verse. All by himself, all alone, in a prison, cold, hungry, scared, waiting awaiting execution. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. I got a slight problem with this, Pastor. I got a slight problem with this. St. Paul, at this point in time, has done more for Christianity than anyone else, other than Christ, of course. He started churches. He preached to Gentiles who never thought they were even acceptable by God. He wrote letters. He wrote half of the New Testament. The guy has done everything he can. At the end of his life, he's an old man now. His eyes, he can barely see. All of his disciples have left him. He's in a prison, and by him saying, bring the cloak, we know that he is cold, which just somehow makes it worse. Like to be alone and by yourself in a cold, sticky prison, and he's cold. And he says, but don't forget to bring me my books. Enough. Like you can retire. You don't need to read anymore. Like you passed the test. You passed the test. Stop reading, stop studying. You don't need to learn any more information, St. Paul. If anyone deserves a break and say, you know what? I don't want to read. I just want to veg. I just want to watch TV. I just want just, to just, just see what's going on in politics. I I I I don't want to think. I just want to be a miserable person. If anyone had a right to say that, was well, Saint Paul? But Saint Paul said, "Bring me the books." Why? Why at the end of his life, after everything he had done, everything he had, Saint Paul, by the way, didn't need books. Saint Paul saw Christ face to face. He had revelations. But Saint Paul said, "Bring me the books," because Saint Paul understood this. For Saint Paul, it wasn't about information that we don't read to learn information, we read to learn Christ. For St. Paul, it wasn't about more information. He wasn't saying, I can't die until I figure out this piece of information or this teaching. It wasn't about information. For St. Paul, it was about a person that he loved. And when you love someone, can you truly love someone and not desire to know more about them? One of the things that I love is when I go to like a, a Panera or a coffee shop or whatever, and I'm sitting there. I love watching old couples. You ever see old, cute old couples? Not the miserable ones that don't talk to each other and just read the newspaper, okay? But cute old couples. And I love seeing cute old couples. He's 100 years old and she's 200 years old. Like they're like the oldest people on the planet. And he sit there and say, "How was your day?" And she sit there and say, What's on your mind? Why do they ask each other that information? Why? Like, you've been with each other for a million years. You know what's on his mind. Hasn't changed. Okay, there's only one thing on his mind. Like, he's always been the same. How was your day? It's the same as the day before, okay? Because you're advanced in years, okay? (laughs) You're experienced in life. Why do they ask each other those questions? Because that's love. Because that's love. Love is to look at another person and say, tell me about you. Love is not to say, you know what, pipe down. <laughs> because you already told me, you know, about this last week, so I, I don't want to hear it anymore. Like, I talked to you throughout the entire, the 80s, the 90s, and the 2000s, like, enough. That's not love. Love is not to say that I haven't learned anything about you since, since we were dating. Love is every day to say, I want to learn more about you. And I want you to know more about me. And I want to discover how you're changing. I want you to discover discover how I'm changing. Can I love a God that I don't know? Can I increase in love for a God that I'm not increasing in knowledge of? Like, this is not academic. This has nothing to do with academics. It has nothing to do with information. This has to do with love. And maybe maybe you see I'm I'm, I'm passionate about this one and and I'm extremely passionate about the importance of reading because I tell you the honest truth. I don't tell you that I'm an example in a lot of areas and I make mistakes and I'm not the best person in so many areas, but I'll tell you something, that there was a time in my life, when I first got close to God, when I first started my spiritual journey, I was so into reading and it was the, I was growing in leaps and bounds. My spiritual life never increased at a higher percentage than the period where I was reading the most. Back when I was single and I just started to get close to God, I was reading, not to shoot my own horn, simple books, I was reading like a book every two weeks. Okay, and I would just, I would collect books, and I would just go through and read. Okay, I wasn't the most sociable guy, so I would just go to my room, and I would read. Okay, and I'd love to read, and that was my favorite thing. And I would take a book with me on my way to work, and if I had time after, I would just read. Like, I loved it. And I'm telling you, the growth in that period was not incremental. The growth was leaps and bounds. I wish I can say i do that right now. I wish. I don't do that right now. Life has changed, and responsibilities, and, 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 and other things, okay, have changed, okay? But... For me, you, there's a direct correlation for me between my spiritual fervor, my zeal, my enthusiasm for God, and the amount that I read. For sure. And when I'm dry, and when I'm struggling, and when I'm weak, there's a direct correlation to the amount that I read and don't read. And I just, I feel it so much that I want you to experience the same thing. You may not to the same degree because you're not the intellectual type, but we all need to grow in knowledge to some degree. Classic question that I get when I, when I go on this rant about reading. What should I read? What kinds of books? Read anything. I honestly don't care what you read. Read anything. Read a spiritual book. Read a historical book. Read a, um, uh, a, a science books. Okay, we believe that all truth comes from God, so if, if a science book is teaching, just read. Just engage your mind. Read books. Read fictional books even. I don't care what you read, just read books. Remember, the cone and the ice cream? Just as long as it is leading us towards God in some way, shape, or form, I don't honestly care what it is you read. Whatever it is you can get your hands on, it is about reading. As an enthusiast, you remember last week I talked about enthusiasts, I've discovered that there's no truth that you can't deepen your relationship with God through. Recently, I read, now it wasn't a book, but it was like an article or extended article, about like the civil rights movement. It wasn't spiritual. But when I read about civil rights, you know what I hear about, what I read about? I find compassion. And I read about love for your neighbor. Read a book or read an article or something about the first man on the moon. And as you read that, you are stimulated and your mind is up, not just about a man on the moon, but about what it means to have faith and set goals and dream big things for God. I said, read fictional books. I'll never forget the scarlet Letter. That we read back in high school. And every time I read the story of the Samaritan Woman, I think of the Scarlet Letter. And you read that book and you understand what does it mean to be marginalized by society? And it meaning to be outcast, then you read that Jesus came for the marginalized and the outcast. Anything can lead us to God if we have the right spirit and the right mind. I want to show you an example of somebody who has become a uh, have like this man crush in this guy, okay, for like the past year. Okay. Y'all heard of Ben Carson? Okay? And I know this is not political. I ain't talking politics. I know this is rough. I'm not talking about, it. I know he ran for president or he didn't make it very far. I don't care about any of that stuff. But this man, Ben Carson, for those of you who don't know, is a uh, neurosurgeon, okay, and he's a very successful. And he is very successful these days, but his life didn't start off very successful. It actually started with a very, very difficult life, a very poor life, and he fought his way out of poverty. Ben Carson, his mother, was one of 24 children. His mother was married at age 13. The man she married after a few years into the marriage discovered was a polygamist and therefore had an entirely separate family and left their family shortly thereafter. He struggled in school, he struggled with his temper, struggled with so many different things. But he fought his way out of it. And you would be shocked at one of the things that helped him to fight his way out of that tough situation. I'm about to show you a clip when he spoke at the National Prayer Breakfast I don't know how many years ago it was. I think it was 2013. It's not specifically like spiritual, but again, we believe that we can find lessons from just about anything in life. He's going to talk about what helped him get out of this tough situation. Watch this video clip right now. Well, you know, we did live in dire poverty. And
1: one of the things that I hated was poverty. You know, some people hate spiders. Some people hate snakes. I hated poverty. I couldn't stand it. And, uh, but, you know, my mother couldn't stand the fact that we were doing poorly in school. And she prayed and she asked God to give her wisdom. What could she do to get her young sons to understand the importance of developing their minds so that they could control their own lives? And you know what? God gave her the wisdom, at least in her opinion. My brother and I didn't think it was that wise. Because it was a turn off the TV. Let us watch only two or three TV programs during the week. And with all that spare time, read two books apiece from the Detroit Public Libraries and submit to her written book reports, which she couldn't read, but we didn't know that. You know? And, uh, you know, she put check marks and highlights and stuff. But, you know, I just hated this. And my friends were out having a good time. Her friends would criticize her. They would say, you can't make boys stay in the house reading books. They'll grow up, they'll hate you. And I would overhear them and I'd say, mother, you know they're right. But she didn't care, you know. (laughs) And, but after a while, I actually began to enjoy reading those books because we were very poor. But between the covers of those books, I could go anywhere, I could be anybody, I could do anything. I began to read about people of great accomplishment. And as I read those stories, I began to see a connecting thread. I began to see that the person who has the most to do with you and what happens to you in life is you. You make decisions. You decide how much energy you want to put behind that decision. And I came to understand that I had control of my own destiny. And at that point, I didn't hate poverty anymore because I knew it was only temporary. I knew I could change that. It was incredibly liberating for me. made all the difference.
0: You see what he said about how reading changed his life. And I know this wasn't a spiritual, okay, it was at the prayer breakfast, but it wasn't like a spiritual. But I want to ask you this question. Do you think that reading may be able to do the same for you? Do you think that learning and, and digging yourself, putting yourself away from TV and putting yourself into book can do for you spiritually what it did for him and his life? Could it do for your spiritual self-image what it did for him in his personal self-image? Could it open your mind to new spiritual possibilities of heights that you can reach that it did for him in a kind of a a temporal kind of a way? That you could be inspired by the lives of people who have gone before you the way he was inspired by people who have gone before them? I think the answer is yes, to be honest. And that's why, to me, you can watch TV all you want, but you're never going to find inspiration watching Sunday Night Football. You're never going to find inspiration, watching inspiration change yourself, image watching season two of The Voice again. <laughs> but you will when you put your face in a book. Quickly here, okay, we'll go through. With each week, we talk about some of the pitfalls, get some of the dangers of each of the different personality types. This one I'm going to go through quickly because I think they're so glaringly obvious. What are the dangers of focusing too much intellectually? Obviously, there's several of them. I'm gonna go three, but don't need much explanation. Number one is being argumentative. Okay, sometimes we care about the information for the sake of the information. And it comes a point in time where it is not so more, so much about me listening as much as it is me arguing. And you know you stop listening when you don't care about what's right. You care about who's right, not about what's right anymore. And coming out of this political season, I think we're all done with the arguing. And we don't need any more argumentativeness. And we it stinks in the political realm. It stinks even more in the spiritual church realm being argumentative. Is a dangerous thing. St. Paul said this to his disciple Titus. He said, avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. Okay, watch out for being argumentative, just trying to win. Number two, second pitfall, knowing rather than doing. We all know somebody who knows a lot and does a little, and usually we hate their guts. Okay, and they're very quick to tell you about what you're doing wrong, but they themselves don't lift a finger to do anything about it. Knowing rather than doing is a dangerous thing. St. Paul says this in Romans 2, 21, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you yourself steal? And he goes on to say, you tell people don't commit adultery and you commit adultery, you know, you know, you know, but you don't do. That's what Jesus hated. Okay, that's what Jesus spoke against, not against the knowledge, but against the knowledge without the doing. Third and final pitfalls, my own term that I kind of coined this term, which is the Defender of the Faith Syndrome. You know what Defender of the Faith Syndrome is? Defender of the Faith Syndrome is you read one book, you learned one new fact, and you decided it is your job to protect the church, okay, from all the corrupt heresies based on the one fact that you know. And you know you're this? You are probably very active on Twitter and Facebook, okay? This is how you defend the universe, okay, against all the evils in this world. And some of us need to temper, our passion is good, Knowledge is good, but we need to temper it with a little bit of humility, and a little bit of humility. And get off of Facebook too, okay? This is your okay? Our homework this week, every week we've been doing like a challenge. Our homework for this week is easy. It is so easy. It is the easiest homework assignment of the month. You don't have to do anything. The homework assignment this week is not to read a book, not even to read a page is just come up with a list of books that you want to read. Okay, not even to actually buy the books, but if you want to go the extra mile, just make the purchase on Amazon. The homework this week is to think to yourself, after all that I said, I told you how beneficial reading was for me. You heard the guy in the video, Dr. Ben Carson, neurosurgeon, poor from neurosurgeon, and he says reading was the number one thing. That based on everything that you're hearing, say, I'm going to give this thing a chance. I'm not going to read a book, but I'm going to make a list, just a list. I'm just going to say, I would like to read this book and I might read this book. And I may go, and I may send an email to my dad, say, hey, Dad, any book recommendations? I may go to a friend, say, hey, I see you reading a book. Any ideas? I'm trying to read a book about this. Just make a list of three to four books that you would like to read over the next year, not over not over like the weekend. And just make a list, okay? And like I said, maybe buy the book, maybe open the book, Christmas, Thanksgiving. It's a nice time to read. And I'm all about the books, okay? And actually, since I said Christmas coming up, I always tell this to people. Okay, this is the best gift, if you would like to. I'm not, I'm not asking for anything, but I'm saying people like to get me gifts, the best gifts that people give me are books. And chocolate, okay, both of those two, okay. Those are the best two gifts, okay. People like to get me crosses, okay, that's great, but I mean, I have, okay, people, like I have, okay. But books, you can never have enough books, okay, never have enough books, okay, that's the best. You say, I don't like to read, I don't like to study, I don't like to learn but I want to be a giant spiritually in my spiritual maturity. And I say the two will not go together. So you got to decide. You got to decide. You don't have to read, but if you choose not to read, you choose not to invest in your spiritual life, then you have to stop wishing that you're going to be some spiritual giant, that you're going to have incredible faith to move mountains. You have to stop wishing that you would have this. And what we need to do is start investing in order to get to it. Last thing. But I want to leave you with this image as we wrap up this series. Okay, the series is done. Hopefully, you've learned something. If you haven't learned anything, listen to me what I'm about to say right now. I'll draw you a picture that hopefully will stick in your mind to wrap up the whole series. There's an image in Christianity which has existed from the earliest days of Christianity. Okay, from even the Old Testament days, the New Testament days, Christ spoke about this image a lot, and it has continued throughout Christian history. And that is the idea of one soul as a garden one soul my soul as a garden let me tell you a story once upon a time there was two neighbors two ladies who lived right next door to each other and they each wanted to plant a garden they each said we want to grow vegetables and fruits and 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 have a nice garden of stuff in our yard each of them went out on the same day each of them prepared a plot of land they tilled the soil they did got rid of the weeds they removed whatever needed to be they built the fence they got everything ready Each of these two neighbors, on the exact same day, prepared the land in the exact same manner. They got the exact same set of seeds, some cucumbers, some tomatoes, some watermelon, some corn, some whatever it was, and they planted those exact same seeds on the exact same day in the exact same manner. And then the first lady, after she had planted, goes inside to her house. And she stands by the window, and every day she stands by the window for one hour. She stands there and looks and she's waiting for the fruit to come. And she is hoping and she is wishing and she's just so excited. Come fruit, come, come fruit, come, go fruit. Okay, and every day she is watching and waiting, watching and waiting, watching and waiting. A year goes by. She does that every single day for a year. She goes out at the end of that year and she goes out to her garden. What does she find? There's some fruit. Okay, there isn't much. And anything there is isn't very healthy or eatable at all because there's weeds that are high as her head. There is some rotten fruit that's on the ground, okay? Clearly the squirrels came in and went to town on those tomatoes and just spit out the chunks. And she looks, and she said, I just wasted the last year of my life. Gardening is so dumb. It is such a waste of time. I'm going to the grocery store and I'm gonna buy the groceries from there. This gardening is a waste of time. Everybody, don't waste your time gardening. It's silly other lady planted the exact same day same whatever same everything but after she planted those seeds she went out and she fertilized the soil and then she went back to her house and then she came out the next day and she watered some more stuff and then she went back And she came out the next day, and she pulled some weeds, and then she came back back the next day, and then she came back the next day, and she put those little, you know, those cute little fences that you put so the squirrels don't, okay? And she put those things. And the next day she came, and the tree started to get bigger, so she taught, you know, those wood stakes, so the thing goes straight. And every day she came, and she tended her garden. She tended her garden. She tended her garden. And at the end of the year, she comes out to her garden, and her basket to collect the fruit isn't big enough to collect all the fruit that had grown out there. She got blueberries, she got raspberries, she got strawberries, she got watermelons, she got corn. I don't know if this stuff grows on gardens, but that's what she's got, okay? And she's just thinking to herself, man, this is just so much. And she puts it all together in her basket. She goes to the grocery store to go rest of her grocery shopping later that day. And she realized that she saved 20% on her normal grocery bill because of how much vegetables that she had in her garden. And she goes to her friend and says, gardening changed my life. Best decision I ever made in my life. Who's right? Is gardening worth the effort or no? Is it worth it to plant a seed? Is it worth it to prepare? Is it worth it? Well, this lady would tell you, absolutely not. Biggest waste of time in my life. Wasted an entire year. No fruit to show. Gardening is frustrating. Gardening is, is of no value. And this lady will tell you the exact opposite. Gardening the best decision that I ever made in my life. Too many of us, spiritually, we focus on our spiritual birth. And we think that the goal of spirituality is to be born in Christ. And I tell you that the goal is not to be born. The goal is not to have the seed planted. The goal is for the seed to mature and the seed to grow. Many of us are frustrated in our spiritual lives because we don't see any fruit. And we have the seed that's inside of us. And it's there, but we do no different than this lady. And we say, God, I thought you were going to solve all my problems. God, I prayed and you didn't tell me what to do. God, I asked and I believed and nothing happened. And we say, Christianity, it's frustrating. I'm not going to pray anymore. I'm done. Church? What's church? I went to church for an entire year. Nothing got solved. My marriage was in ruins. We Went to church like Father Anthony told us. Nothing happened. This Christianity stuff. Yeah, you can do it. It's like a super good, good luck superstition kind of a thing. But not going to bring much fruit in your life. Is it? Or is it that maybe the goal isn't to plant a spiritual garden. The goal is to tend a spiritual garden. Maybe the problem is too many, too many of us are focused on just show up at church on a Sunday, receive the seed and kind of go out and wait for the fruit to come. We think of spiritual maturity as we think of like being six feet tall. Like some people just are and some people aren't. Okay, like my faith is, you know what? Some people are six feet tall, so I'm just never gonna be six feet tall. So you know what? So it's just, that's how we think of spiritual maturity. And I'm here to tell you, that is not the case whatsoever. Spiritual maturity is based a lot less on the seed planted, which we know the seed has been planted. And it's based, as we read about earlier this morning, for those who are here during the liturgy, about how we take care of the soil and tend the soil. St. Peter, chapter 1. 2nd Epistle of Peter, chapter 1, verse 5. But also for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to your virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love, we read that, you know what he's saying? He's saying, get out, to, get off the couch and go out there and do something in your garden. And you say, well, I did something yesterday. Okay, do something today. And I added faith. Okay, add virtue. I added virtue. I added knowledge. I had self-control. The point is, it's a garden that needs to be tended. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness. My brothers and sisters, the goal of our spiritual life is not spiritual birth. That is the beginning, that is the starting line, not the end line. The goal is spiritual maturity. In the same way that the goal of my marriage is not to have sex with my wife on our wedding night. That is not the goal. That is the starting point and our goal is to grow in love for the rest of our lives together. In the same way, the goal of of our spiritual life is not to be born in Christ but to grow in Christ and to mature in Christ, and my hope and my prayers that this series has hopefully given you some new tools, some new ways that you can experience God, and that you can discover new ways to experience God. Some of you never realized you could experience God outside of, like I said, quiet time and, and, and certain ritualistic things. And I hope that you've learned otherwise. Last thing, and I'm done after this. I always like to end every series very hopeful and very much to say, If we take what we've learned here, this is what we can do in the world. That's who I am. Like, If we take this, we can learn. Today, I actually want to say the opposite. Today, I want to share not a hopeful, but a fearful. I am fearful that every generation that goes by becomes a little more superficial in their faith. I'm fearful that we are more superficial than our parents' generation. Not not we, but I'm saying as a generation. more superficial than our parents generation and every generation that goes by is a little more just shortcuts instant gratification superficial just give me what I need to know I want us to be the generation that stops that I want us to be the generation that turns makes a u-turn and says that we realize the goal is not to plant a garden the goal is to tend a garden the goal is not to hope that my faith grows, but the goal is to get out there, roll up my sleeves, and make my faith grow. Again, I can't do it without God. It's synergy. I'm not saying me without God, but I'm also saying not God without me. I'm hoping that we become the generation that doesn't just wait and watch the garden. That we become the generation that gets out there, rolls up our sleeves, whether it's as a naturalist, as a sensate, as a as a traditionalist, as an ascetic, as an activist, as a caregiver, as an enthusiast, as a contemplative, and even as an intellectual roll up our sleeves and find new ways to invest in our garden. Because Christianity is not a subject to study. it is a person to know and grow deeper and deeper in love with him every single day. Let's stand together and say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us so many different ways and means to know you and to experience you to, to to grow in, in our in our depth of our understanding of who you are. I pray, Lord, that we would take what we heard right here, and we would all expand our spiritual horizons, that we would not be like accepting a superficial relationship with you, that we not be content with just surface level stuff, but that we would be the generation that turns it around and says our goal is to mature. And no matter what we've done from, from our birth to today. Our goal is to continue to grow closer in the knowledge and intimacy with you every single day. I pray, Lord, that you'd give us strength and that you'd give us wisdom and that you'd help us, Lord, so that if we stand here a year from now, none of us stand here the same way, but we stand deeper in our knowledge and our love for you. pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. The prayers of all of your saints. Here it says we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.